It's the Last Stand Podcast. And here's your host, Brian Custer. That's right. The Last Stand, unfiltered, straight talk from some of the biggest names in sports and entertainment. And, you know, today's guest, well, she's a mixture of both. Uh, certainly from the entertainment field, because that's what she delivers, but she's also in the sport of boxing. In fact, she's a rarity. Uh, you won't find too many female boxing promoters, but she is one of them. She's known as the raging babe. She's none other than Michelle Rosado. Michelle, welcome to The Last Stand. Thank you for having me. You know I'm a huge fan of your show. Well, hey, look, that, that means a lot. It's great to have you on. And so listen, let me ask you this. During a pandemic, what is it like trying to promote professional fights? We can't promote right now. The middle-class promoters were in the dark. The lights are out. We can't do any shows. You know, middle-class promoters, we are the hustlers. We're the live gate promoters. We have to sell tickets. We have to get local sponsors. We have to get local businesses involved. You know, that's how we pay the fighters. That's how we pay the bills. You know, we're out there pounding the pavement. And without there being able to be a crowd, well, we just can't do shows um, because we don't have TV packages. We don't have streaming funds or hedge funds or, you know, a big inheritance and treasure chest of money to pull from and say, okay, well, we'll get that back later. You know, there is no money to pull from. Um, so it's different when you're using your own money and it's your own investment where you don't have a TV package, a network deal. Um, so we're, we're in the dark right now. Mm. You know, I, I, I love club shows only for the simple fact that that's where I started. And I was commentating those shows in New York City. Um, and Lou DiBella has a series called Broadway Boxing that we did for years. And he used to always say club shows are the life bread of boxing. Do you agree with that? I agree, and I love Broadway boxing, and I know that Lou loves my Philly special. Um, and we had big plans this year to work together and kind of merge those together and do shows in New York and Philly, and then the pandemic happened, right? But the club shows is where you're building those prospects. That's where you're developing these fighters that you see the top promoters, like the Fab Four, right, Heyman, uh, top rank, golden boy and Hearn, matchroom. You see them, that, that's where they're pulling these opponents from. We're developing these guys from the ground up. We're almost like a farm system. And you know what? Most of these guys that you see on TV fighting for millions of dollars and becoming world champions, a lot of them started at the club level. You know, we can't forget about that. Not every fighter comes out of the Olympics with a signing bonus and a major deal. Not every fighter comes out of the amateur system right into a big promotional deal with a big manager giving them a monthly stipend. A lot of them have to start off at the club level. Jared Hurd, perfect example, became a world champion, was fighting on club shows. Javonta Davis, Tevin Farmer, Julian Williams, Jeff Chandler, Matthew Saad Muhammad, Bernard Hopkins. I could go on and on and on where these guys started at the club level, you know, worked their way to the top to become a world champion. So we matter, real fights matter, club shows matter. 
You know, it's, it's a really good point. I, I remember calling Jose Pedraza, Darian Vonchenko, all of those guys uh, started at the club level. So that's a really good point. I'm curious, how did you get into boxing, number one? number, And then number two is, and then parlay that into promoting. Uh, you know, I left Philadelphia in 07 for Phoenix. I came to Phoenix for my career, which I was a mechanical engineer. That's my real profession. And I was missing boxing out here because in Philly, it's like a religion. There's like a boxing gym on every corner. There's a show every other week. It's, you know, it's like the boxing capital. And I came out here and there wasn't much going on. So I got to meet a fighter who then introduced me to a matchmaker. And I started seeing what was going on at these shows and they were really bad. And there was a lot of corruption at the time in Arizona within the commission. And also the state was trying to pass these really harsh immigration laws out here. And Bob Arum and Oscar De La Hoya, they kind of pulled out of Arizona. They said, you know what, until you guys get your shit together, we're not gonna do shows there. You know, um, they were making it really hard to use fighters from Mexico. It, it was just an ugly scene. Um, some promoters went to jail. They were falsifying medicals. They were falsifying checks and bouncing checks. And I just thought, there's got to be a better way to do this. Like, this can't be life, right? Like, I knew nothing, but I'm like, this ain't right. And honestly, I got with the matchmaker. His name is Mike Sanchez. I'm still friends with him today. He still matches my shows in Arizona. And he kind of said, okay, look, I'm going to put these fights together. This is how much it's going to cost you. You go out there and promote the hell out of it. And that's what I did. I used my engineering background and skills to, like, be organized and be analytical and have a budget. And mind you, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know how to go out and get sponsors. I didn't know much about advertising, but I used common sense. And the first show was a big hit in 2011 and it sold out and they made a big deal about it. And I just thought it was fun. You know, I was like, oh, well maybe I'll do it again one day. And I got a call from the New Times saying that they want to do a story on me. And they dubbed me the Raging Babe and put me on the cover, and it just took a life of its own. That was all she did. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. And, and, and tell me about uh, how they came up then with the name Raging Babe. What, what, what was the genesis of that? Listen, I lied to you not. I don't know how they came up with it. I didn't even know I was going to be on the cover. I knew I was doing an article with them about the tough immigration laws and still trying to push forward to do good boxing in Arizona and give these fighters an opportunity, whether they had, whether they were legal or illegal, whether they were an immigrant or not, everybody was going to get a fair shake on my card. And I went to work one morning, like, you know, my nine to five, I was engineering and, you know, all of a sudden I, a technician walks over to me and throws a pile of magazines on my desk. He went to the gas station. The New Times came out like on a Tuesday morning and I was there on the cover and on a red, in a red dress with heels and boxing gloves. And I was mortified. I was like, I thought I was going to get fired. I thought I was going to be canned. You know, they were supportive of my little boxing endeavor and passion, but to be on the cover of a magazine talking about boxing and immigration laws. And it was quite the opposite. Everybody at the firm embraced it, loved it. They came to my shows, they supported it. Um, so I give the New Times all the credit. They came up with the name, they came up with the cover. I, I literally had no clue that was happening. That's great. Um, so, so when did you then make the decision to say, okay, I'm going to switch careers. 
I mean, was, was it, was it lucrative for you? What, what went into that decision to switch careers? You know, um, it wasn't until four years ago. So I've been at this for nine years. The first five I was juggling. It was really hard. I was really tired. I got really sick. I pretty much sacrificed everything. When I say everything, I mean everything from family time to relationships, you know, even to, you know, having children, you know, I put everything on hold. Um, I lost a lot of time with family and friends, but I was just pursuing my dream and I couldn't juggle anymore. I was getting sick. I was running myself into the ground, not sleeping. And I thought, you know what? It's now or never. You know, I was saving my money. I was being really conservative. I cut everything off. I cut off my credit cards. I cut off my cable. I got rid of my car to get rid of my car note because I was driving a fancy Mercedes, right? And I just made every sacrifice under the sun. I said, I'm going to do it now or never. And I, had a, and I have a really great mentor in Russell Pelt, and he supported my decision. And that was it. I, I walked away from engineering. And... I haven't turned back since. By the grace of God, I don't know how I'm still standing. Um, but, you know, I've done well. Thank God. That's great. And, and, and you know, I think so, so many times people see the glamorous side of boxing. How tough was it? You know, oh, in your lowest of low times, how tough was it? In the lowest of low, I mean, I've been called every racial slur you can think of. I've had tickets thrown in my face. I've had my house vandalized. I've had a brick thrown through my back window of my car. Um, I've been called every type of groupie you could imagine. You know, she slept with everybody in the business. She slept with every fighter. And that couldn't be further from the truth, you know? Um, so I've earned my stripes. I've worked hard, no handouts, no rich family, you know, no inheritance. It's just been all hard work, and I've had to learn how to turn the cheek. It used to bother me a lot in the beginning, and now I kind of just go back at them. You know, when they say something to me, I'll be like, yeah, you're dad. Or, you know, like, I, I just, like, I just kind of roll with it now, you know, and, and I just try to have fun with it. But I think most people now, nine years in, they kind of know that I'm a hustler. They, they yeah. know I'm not, you know, sleeping around or, or cheating fighters. or you, You'll never find a fighter that says, she stole from me. She didn't pay me. She lied to me. You'll never find a fighter that said that. Is it possible for a female promoter to be successful in the business of boxing? Absolutely. Um, two of my biggest inspirations, two of the women that I aspire to be, one is Eileen Eaton. Eaton. She was a huge promoter in the West Coast many decades ago. She did like over 10,000 bouts. She worked with every big promoter you can think of, every fighter. She was known as the Dragon Lady. You didn't mess with her. And she was the first woman inducted into the Hall of Fame, okay? Not under a woman's category. I mean, inducted into the Hall of Fame because she's one of the top 10 greatest promoters that probably ever lived, you know? And nobody messed with her. She was, she was like the best of the best. Um, I also look up to Lorraine Chargan. She was married to Don Chargan, Hall of Fame promoter. Um, but she handled the business. I mean, he was a brilliant matchmaker, you know, but she handled the ticketing and the logistics and the credentials and the building maintenance and setup and ring and insurance. I mean, she ran the company while he was making these great matches. Then when he wasn't able to promote, she was promoting. 
Um, and when he started matchmaking for Eileen Eaton, Eaton, I always mess up her last name, Eaton. Um, when he was matchmaking for her, well, it was Lorraine who got hired to be the building manager. Eileen hired her right away. So those are the two women that like I look to as brilliant promoters that did it in an era where it was not heard of. Now we have a lot more women in boxing. Yes, it's still a little more difficult for us, but we're there. You know, you hear us roaring. Behind every big promoter, he's got a woman either as his right-hand man or running the operation. And I mean all of them. Mm. Um, being female, uh, being a person of color, uh, what, are, what are some of the obstacles, let's say, that you have to deal with that other promoters don't? Well, like I said, it's quick for people to throw out the race card. You know, I'm Puerto Rican. I get a lot of slack for that. Um, sometimes I get called names. I get called racist a lot. You know, if I talk about a white fighter, if I talk about a black fighter, a Mexican fighter, they find a way to attack me, regardless if I'm talking about a Latino or an African-American or a Caucasian. Like somehow I, you know, it's just really tough for me. I, I don't, I don't know how to balance that. I'm like, guys, I'm Puerto Rican. I'm, mis I'm mixed with everything you can think of. You know, I'm Spaniard, I'm Taina, I'm African, I'm European. I mean, I'm everything. I don't see color. So it bothers me um, when I get slack like that. And you know, I think there's some, uh, prejudgments when I walk into a meeting okay like if I'm meeting with a venue or a sponsor you know who's this girl with the big curly hair and she's brown and you know I, I feel it and you know what I do I just kind of hit them with what I know and my skills and my intelligence and you know they end up working with me that yeah, that's, that's good stuff. Um, and, and so what, what, do, what do you think is the ultimate goal? Would we see a raging babe uh, line of fighters? Uh, what's the ultimate goal? You know, I want to continue to promote good fights. I want to make Philadelphia the legendary fight town that it once was. I want to develop those guys from the ground up. Um, I want old school and new school boxing fans to come to my shows and fall in love with boxing again and have them become interested in the bigger boxing world again, because we're losing that old school boxing fan. We really are. And so I just want to uphold the reputation of real fights, real fighters, real fans. You know, that's my passion. I don't aspire to be Bob Arum. I don't aspire to be Al Heyman or none of those guys. Way too much headache. It gets very ugly at the top. Lots of money, lots of fighters, lots of exclusive deals with networks, with managers. It gets real treacherous, you know? I like where I'm at. I like my niche. I like doing good events and building fighters, giving them an opportunity. You know, just because a fighter doesn't come out of the amateurs and he doesn't get a big deal, doesn't mean that he's not deserving of a career. So I treat a four-round fighter the same way I'm going to treat a 10-round fighter. Um, and I do want to go back to your question about being a woman of color. I will say in boxing, being a woman of color hasn't hurt me as much. You know, like, I don't feel like, oh, I get passed up 
for the girl who's white, right? I get passed up for the men with bigger names, mm. you know? So even though I have a better product sometimes and I have a lot more to offer and I'm a hustler and I'm going to sell out that venue, there's been times where I've lost deals at casinos and different venues and with different networks because another name, a big name came in and maybe didn't even offer what I was offering, but they have the name. You know, it happened to me in Tucson when I was doing shows at the casino and then Oscar De La Hoya came in and it was like, all right, Raging Bay, bye. Yeah. You know, and then somewhere else I was doing shows and then Roy Jones promotions came in. It's like, oh God, we got to work with Roy Jones. And I'm like, he might not even come to that show. Okay. But anyway, um, and it recently happened to me with a network where I thought we were going to do our show and it's like, Hey, you know what? We're going to go in a different direction. And the direction is Don King. And I'm like, I'm getting passed up for Don King in 2020. <laughs> so that's what I experienced is like, I still have to prove myself. I have to keep working hard. You know, I just got to keep doing my homework and, you know, but I, I just want to develop local talent. That's my niche. You know, there comes a point though, where you get to a certain level with them and you may have to hand them over to one of the fab four because they have the TV and more money and that's fine. Then I did my part. I did my job. Hmm. That's good. Um, you know, you talked about Russell Pels, who has become like a mentor uh, for you, obviously Hall of Famer. Uh, did he ever discourage you be like, Michelle, this is not because, you know, he's he's always been quoted about, hey, look, I'm so sick of boxing, things of that nature. Did he ever discourage you like go back to engineering? You know, Russell can be very grumpy, but it's because he loves the sport so much. So he is a little brokenhearted these days. You know, he wishes more people would work together. He wishes the best fights got made. And so do I. There, you know, things need to be more cohesive. Um, right now, like, everything is contracting. It's, I feel like it's getting smaller and smaller. So he wants to see the best fight the best. He wants to see boxing thrive again. So, you know, sometimes it's a little crumpy, and he's like, you know, what are you doing and all? But he wouldn't let me quit. I mean, not, not, not in a million years, you know, would he let me walk away. Mm. I still keep him going. I think there's times where he's wanted to retire and walk away. I'm like, no, 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 we got to do this. And how about this matchup? And, you know, this person called. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to keep him in it. I'm not ready to let him go. Uh, you know, listen, and you, and you alluded to uh, something I get asked. Uh, a lot of times, and, and it's great to have you on because you are a promoter. So let me ask you, from a promoter's standpoint, why are we not seeing the fight that fans want to see? Why are we not seeing a, a Spence Crawford? Why are we not seeing a uh, Wilder, uh, Anthony Joshua? Why are those fights not being made? I think it's pretty simple. I think people aren't working together. There's not enough compromise. There's not enough negotiation. Um, there's too many exclusive deals, you know, and it's making it really hard to make those fights, whether it's ego, whether it's money, you know, I don't think these fighters are scared to fight each other. You know, I think that the promoters need to work together more. I mean, honestly, how many times do you see them working together? How often does that That's happen? Rare. 
It's you rare. know, back in the day, the, the best fought the best. And it happened like every week. It happened every month on a Wednesday night. You know what I mean? On a Wednesday, on a Thursday, on a Tuesday. It was normal. Okay. And now it's just not normal. It, it, it's sad. You know, fans want to see bigger and better fights. You can't fool the fans for too long. You know, they're not idiots. So after a while, they start going, why aren't these fights happening? You know, and you got a monopoly over here and a monopoly over here and over there and over there. And, you know, it's just, there need, it needs to be more cohesive. Absolutely. And, and, and guys, as you've talked about working together, but th that money and that network money always seems to rule out when it comes to uh, making these kind of fights. Hey, let me get your perspective then uh, on this. Everyone asks me that another question is the business of boxing, the sport of boxing is boxing back is the sport of boxing thriving. Well, I wouldn't say it's thriving. I wouldn't say it's dying either. Um, the, there's some fighters that are making really, really good money and that makes me happy, but that's really like the top 1%. Okay. Everybody else is still kind of struggling. Um, I don't know too many promoters who are really turning a big profit right now. So again, I'm being objective. Is the business thriving? Is the sport thriving? Well, you know, who's turning a profit? Cause you know, the fighters need to make money, but the networks need to make money too. The promoters need to make money. You know, it's a business. If not, you're a nonprofit organization or it's a hobby for you. So, you know, I, I don't know if it's thriving. I know that we get excited when like, a million people tune in to watch the fights, but like 90 million people tune in to watch the Super Bowl, you know? So I don't know just like how thriving we could say we are. I will say it's nice to see that some of these fighters are making a boatload of money. I do think that that is awesome. Uh, what do you love about the sport of boxing right now? What is the thing that you say the sport of boxing needs to change? I still love the glory of the sport. You know, what these fighters go through, a lot of them have really compelling stories. A lot of them have made sacrifices. A lot of them have come from nothing. Um, so to make it to that level, you know, there's nothing like it. When boxing is done right, there's nothing better. You know, so I love when it's done right. I love when there's proper matchups. I love hearing the stories and there's proper buildup and there's proper promotion and you've got this big venue and the big lights. I mean, there, there's really nothing better than that. And I, and I hope that happens more and it's going to be by these promoters working together. That that's what has to happen. Um, good stuff. Let's talk about uh, some things that have been going on in the sport. Let's start with Bob Arum. Um, you know, lately, He's made uh, a number of statements about Bud Crawford. Uh, one of the latest ones, he said, I'm not going to go broke, you know, trying to promote Bud Crawford. We had Bud on the podcast uh, and on the show, and he even told me, hey, look, my deal with Top Rank is uh, up next year, and you better believe that I am using that over Top Rank to get the fights that I want. I want big fights. What do you think that it, what do you think about this? It almost looks as if there's going to be a, a divorce between these two and that Bud could ultimately go to the PBC. You know, I see both sides of the story. I feel 
when Bud extended his contract three years ago, I think he was being really loyal. He is a humble dude. You know, he is who he is. And he had very humble beginnings. You know, he didn't come out of the Olympics with a big deal. Not every promoter wanted to sign him, you know, and he got with top rank and he's done really well there and he's made really good money. And that's great. And I think that extension had a lot to do with not only the ESPN deal, but I think it had a little bit to do with his loyalty too. I mean, when nobody wanted him, top rank took a chance on him and, you know, they've done well. They both have made money together. Um, now we're at a point though, where, Crawford's one of the only guys that I hear right now that still talks about his legacy. And he still talks about going into the Hall of Fame. And he talks about those career-defining fights. A lot of guys right now, they just talk about money. Oh, well, how much did you make? Well, I'm not fighting you unless you could sell out a venue. I mean, it's so corny. So it's very refreshing when you hear a fighter say, you know, I want to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. I want my legacy to live on. And I need those legacy fights. And it's like, wow, that's really refreshing. Um, so in that token, I could see where he says, look, you guys can't get me these fights anymore. And I hate to say it, but if you can't beat them, maybe you got to join them. If I can't fight them, maybe I got to join them. Now, look, that's a slippery slope, though, because you don't want boxing to turn into that either. Like, oh, I got to leave you because I want to fight that guy. You know, <laughs> That's slippery. Um, and I see Bob Arum's point now, too, where, yeah, maybe he has made money with Crawford. I'm sure he has. But he's at the point where he's frustrated. He can't make those big fights with Pacquiao and Spence and Thurman and Porter. And he's frustrated. And he's, he's losing money. Now, it doesn't matter how rich you are. No rich person wants to lose money. So if you're losing a million here, two million here, three, four million here, after a while, it's like, you know, maybe this isn't a win-win uh, situation anymore. You know, you want to hold on to your investment, but I think Bob knows, like, you know, if we can't make these fights for him and we are losing money, we are a business, right? We're not a nonprofit organization, then maybe it is the best thing for him, you know, to go the, you know, go to the PBC. I think some splits and breakups can be amicable. I don't think this is ugly. I don't think Crawford's like, F you, top rank. And I don't think Bob and top rank is like, F you, Crawford. I think that they know right now that they're really stuck in a hard place. Either they can make a Pacquiao fight or a Spence fight, or they can't, and he's going to have to go over there so he could get the fights that he wants. Yeah. I think it's really that simple. I don't think it's grimy. Uh, I think it's unfortunate that, you know, these promoters can't, work together more like they did for Mayweather and Pacquiao. And then you got Fury and Wilder, but those are far few in between. I mean, that was like a five year gap, right? Mm, Before yeah. they work together again. You're right. Um, happy you brought up Deontay Wilder um, because we also had it on him on the show. And I tell you, the reaction has been nonstop. Yeah. Uh, and listen, he was adamant about uh, Tyson Fury cheating, uh, loaded gloves he would he certainly didn't deny the reason why he he fired his trainer mark breland uh asked him about spiking the water uh he didn't like that he threw in the towel he talked about uh why he he, he kept jd's i'm just your thoughts on what you heard from deontay wilder because the reaction has been from 
one side to the other. Either A, there are people who say, you know what, I tend to believe him. Uh, I tend to believe him, and especially the way uh, the Vegas Commission acted on the instant replay that they had the night of the, of the Crawford fight and the Maloney fight uh, specifically. Uh, and then the other people saying, wow, Deontay Wilder is out of his mind. He is really far gone. What was your reaction when you saw him? Well, I have to be honest. Um, you know, boxers say a lot of stuff, and sometimes it comes back to haunt them later. And I don't know much about the glove situation. I wasn't there. I didn't inspect the gloves. You know, maybe his team should have done a better job. Maybe he should have been more involved in inspecting the gloves. I mean, I remember Floyd Mayweather being right there inspecting gloves when he was fighting Madonna. You know, he's down there looking at gloves. And um, so I can't speak much on that. But regarding Mark Breland, I just really wish Deontay would have kept that to himself. I'd rather him have blamed the costume. At least with the costume, we had some fun with it, right? Like, oh, the costume was heavy, you know? And it was like, and then everybody got over it. You know, it was like yesterday's news. The stuff with Breland seems to really bother a lot of people. I think that everyone and anybody in this industry that knows Mark Breland knows what a stand-up guy he is. This is so far out of his character, you know, accusing him of spiking the water, being involved with anything messy. But, I mean, it's just so far-fetched in a lot of people's brains. You know, but Deontay feels like he has a valid case and he feels strongly about it. And Breland ended up getting fired for stopping the fight when really he was protecting, protecting his guy. And every fighter you meet will tell you, don't stop my fight. You're going to let me die in that ring. Don't you ever stop. They all say that. But a trainer's job is to protect you, is to make sure that you live another day. It's a really tough one here. You know, because Brillen felt like he was doing the right thing. Wilder had told his team, whatever you do, do not throw in the towel. I feel like he was reprimanded a little too hard for stopping the fight. Um, I, accusing him of being disloyal. I think Wilder is who he is as a fighter because of Mark Breeland. I think the skills that he has developed, he got better every year. You know, the way he was turning his punches, his footwork. There was so much good stuff that you saw coming out of Deontay over the past couple years, and you knew it was because of Mark Breland. And I just, it just kind of hurts my heart a little bit because Mark is such a good dude, and I just can't see him doing anything like that. Now, look, if I was Mark Breland, I would probably be suing him for defamation of character. But that's not the kind of guy he is. And you know what? I thought about it, and I was like, you know what? I probably wouldn't do that either because somebody attacked me on social media a couple years, a fighter did, and everybody in this industry and every lawyer you can think of told me to sue him for defamation of character, that I could get a percentage of his purse the rest of his career, and he makes a lot of money. And I said, I don't want his money. I want an apology. And I did not move forward with that because that's not the type of chick I am. So I don't think we're going to hear from Mark Breland. I don't think he's going to sue defamate for defamation of character. Um, you know, I think he's just going to go on just being Mark and being mm. a good guy and 
you know, I'm sure if Wilder called him, he would still answer the phone. But I just wish he would have kept it to himself. I don't think everything needs to be said. It sounds like excuses, whether it is or not. I'm not saying Deontay is lying, but it just comes off like salty. Hmm. Did your did your opinion or did your opinion of Deontay Wilder change after watching? Not really. Um, I'm not that judgmental. Again, I just really don't like the stuff about Mark Breland. But if he feels like he has a case about that those gloves, then the next time they fight, if they fight, then he should be there. He should have people really inspecting those gloves. You know, it, that's not too far-fetched. Again, I didn't make the gloves. I wasn't there. I don't know if he has a valid case or not. I, I see what he's saying, but then again, I, I don't get it, you know? So, it, honestly, Brian, it's such a touchy subject um, because I'm not there and I don't know, but I don't know. I don't, I don't look at Deontay any different. You know, I was rooting for him the last fight. I picked him to win by knockout. I felt that his corner should have stopped the fight, not because I wanted to see Tyson Fury win, because I felt like Deontay was really that hurt and in trouble. But yes, we all know he has the eraser, and at any moment he can knock you the hell out. But I felt like it was the right call at the right moment. So, you know, I'm still going to root for him, you know, when he gets back. Uh, having, having you on the show, um, the, the one question I think I, I have for you is, why is the Raging Babe so controversial when it comes to social media? I have no idea. I, I think, um, you know, people like to pick sides a lot, and I like to be more objective. I'm going to watch every fight, no matter what channel it's on. I don't care if it's Showtime, if it was HBO, ESPN, Telemundo. I don't care. I don't care who the promoter is either. I'm going to watch all the fights. I like fighters from the PBC. I like, her, I like some fighters at Matchroom. I like some top-ranked fighters. I like both of them. But people want you to pick. It's the weirdest shit. But I think it's because of how the promoters conduct themselves. They're not really working together. It's our side or their side. So some fans are actually picking sides. You know, if a PBC fighter is fighting, oh, it's negative. It's, it's all negative. And then when a top-ranked show, oh, top-ranked is great, and vice versa. You see it happening all the time. And I just kind of like to call it as it is. You know, and um, not everybody likes that. Uh, you, you mentioned it at the top. You know, one of your babies is the Philly Special. Um, and obviously, it takes place in Philadelphia. You have a lot of local and good talent uh, there. Talk to us about the Philly Special. Uh, we know it's postponed. When can we see it? Uh, and, and is that something that we're going to see here in the future? Yeah, the Philly Special is my boxing series and pretty much showcasing local talent in competitive matchups. And I, I tell all the guys, you have to bring your left hook. I'm going to put it in the contract. You have to bring your, your Philly left hook with you. Um, but th those are the fights I love to do, those local fights, those local rivalries. That's really what made Philly a great fight town. You know, when they used to put 16,000 people at the spectrum with local Philly fights. So, I, you know, I'm really trying to bring that back. Philly guys are gritty. You know, they get knocked down. They're going to get up. You're going to have to carry them out the ring. You know, they're not going to quit. So um, we're, the Philly fighters are a special breed. That's where my heart is, my heart and soul. 
Um, it's hard. You know, Philly's a hard, tough town, a hard, a hard fight town. Uh, but, you know, if you do right by them, they do right by you. And I think that's with any business, really. Hmm. Uh, another thing uh, that you started uh, was called Boxing Moms. Talk to us about that. Yeah, working all these shows, whether they're my shows or working as a subcontractor to different promoters, I learned that I end up always working with the mom. You know, I'm talking to a fighter. Oh, talk to my mom. My mom handles that. My mom. So I quickly learned that the mom really runs the show. You know, she is the part-time uh, manager. She acts as a manager. She acts as the promoter. She's the nutritionist. She's driving him all over the place. She's working two jobs to make sure that, you know, he can train, that he's pursuing his dream. Um, she'll do anything for the fighter. She's like the unsung hero. And the moms go through a lot, you know, watching their son or daughter go through the ropes and get hit in the head for a living. That's tough. You know, you hear their agony, you hear their screaming, you hear their crying. You know, it's, it's unlike anything else that you've seen. You know, boxing dads and the trainers, they get a lot of the limelight, right? They get all the camera time. But what the mom is sacrificing and what she is going through, it's, it's really just as much. So I just wanted to give her some light and give her some shine so that people could see what these boxing moms go through. That's fantastic. That's great. Okay, Michelle, uh, you know, uh, everyone uh, who watches and listens to the podcast, we allow them to submit questions. And so certainly got some questions for the raging babe. Want to get right to them. Um, this one comes from Twitter. Uh, and Weird Flex Earl asks, why do you think boxing was better when the mob was running it? <laughs> well, I said that somewhat sarcastically. But what I meant by that was there was more organization. The better fights were happening because they had to happen. Now, they don't have to happen, right? And, you know, there was more organization. I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Read some books. You'll see what I'm talking about. This one also from Twitter. It says, uh, Raging Babe, give us your top five pound for pound list. Okay. One, Terrence Crawford. I think he's the most consistent fighter. I think he's the most skilled. I think if everybody weighed the same, I think he would beat more guys than the other guys would. Um, he doesn't have close decisions. You know, you've never seen a fight where you're like, hmm, did he win? You know, he's probably the best finisher in the game. It could be the 12th round, and he could be pitching a shutout and he's still gonna try to finish you in the 12th round. He's not gonna take off, he's not gonna let up. You know, he's got that killer instinct, you know, that old school killer mentality. Um, so I have Crawford one, I've got Canelo second. Uh, Canelo, he probably has the better resume, but he's got some really close controversial decisions and he's got a couple PED tests that didn't come back right. So I put him second. Earl Spence, no, 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 I have the monster, number three, Inoue. Inoue, Inoue. Inoue, number three, he's so dominant, he moves through divisions, he's at a lower weight, so a lot of people really haven't caught on to him yet, but he's the real deal, 
before I got spent, the level of opposition that he has faced, um, a lot of guys did not want to fight him. Now they want to fight him because he's sort of a cash cow. Like now, if you want to make a good payday, you better fight Spence. So now you hear Thurman and all these guys like wanting to fight him and call him out. So um, he's another one where he's beaten a lot of guys that a lot of others, you know, probably wouldn't beat or have a tough mm -hmm. time, tougher time. And then five, I think, is Teofimo Lopez. I think he kind of solidified his potential. He solidified his hype. He beat Lomachenko, and he didn't ask for any showcase fights. Like, he beat Comney for the title, and he didn't ask for, like, another little cute showcase fight or, you know, let me build my numbers, let me build my popularity. He went right to Lomachenko, and, and he beat the man. So how can you not have him in the top five? That's a good list. That's a really good list. Uh, this one from Twitter as well. It says, and, and it's, it's kind of something that you had already – uh, addressed here. It says, why do so many people think you're a racist? I have no idea. Hmm. I, I'm telling you, if I talk good about a black fighter, I'm a racist. If I talk bad, I'm a racist. If I say something about a Mexican fighter, they're attacking me that I'm racist. I'm like, and listen, you know who I'm the hardest on? Puerto Rican fighters. I rip them to shreds. So, you know, maybe I'm racist against my own kind, too. I mean, that, you know, we're, we're living in a really sensitive time right now. You yeah. see a lot of, like, social injustice, a lot of things happening that's real, you know? And so they, people are sensitive right now. It's just, it's touchy. And I just have to be a little more careful, maybe, on my delivery. Hmm. I don't know. Another one here from Twitter. It says, what made you continue promoting after the scare tactics uh, early on in your Phoenix days? I have a lot of courage. That was instilled in me by my dad um, when he was alive. I saw him, you know, in politics, coaching high school, baseball, you know, and in my borough, it was predominantly um, like Italian, Puerto Rican, Black. And I saw what he went through. You want to talk about racism, you know, this Puerto Rican guy running for mayor of the borough, you know, that uh, not everybody loves that. Um, so I just kind of saw what my dad went through and his perseverance and how resilient he was. So, you know, getting a brick thrown through my window wasn't going to stop me. Mm, good stuff. Uh, this one again from Twitter. Uh, uh, Jake uh, asks, why do you finish with, and I said what I said. It's like, period. Like I said what I said. I mean it. That's it. You know, we could agree to disagree. And, and that's fine. You know, let's just be objective and let's be consistent. And you know what? That's the one thing I wish for. I want boxing fans, especially on social media, let's just be more consistent. You know, let's not rip these guys for one thing and then praise them for something else. Like, let's be objective. Let's be more consistent. Michelle Rosado, Raging Babe, we've come to the last segment of the show. We call it The Last Stand. I'm asking you a series of questions. I want the first thing, not the second, that comes to your mind. You ready? Yes. First thing that comes to your mind when I say boxing Twitter. Remedial. <laughs> uh, who, in your opinion, is the GOAT of female boxing promoters? Jackie Callen? Uh, Aline Eaton or Kathy Duva? 
female boxing prom oh who's the goat uh yes oh wait i thought you meant who promotes females no who's the goat of female promoters when oh, it comes eileen to eaton. eileen eaton no that hands down one thousand percent eileen eaton she's the goat in your opinion who is the best promoter in boxing right now raging babe <laughs> since you're a philly girl who is the best fighter from Philly right now? Jerron Ennis, Boots. Mm, that's strong. Listen, uh, I had to think because we've got a few. We got a lot of good fighters in Philly. So I had to really think, like, I had to process that one. But, no, definitely Boots. He, he is the dude, man. Uh, per the perception out there is all – Boxing promoters are crooks, are they? Absolutely not. And they all don't make money either. Good answer. All right. And then last but not least, who is boxing's next big star? Is it Teofimo Lopez? Is it Shakur Stevenson, Gervonta Davis, or Duran Boots Ennis? Can you read those back to me again? <laughs> Teofimo Lopez? Gervonta Davis, Shakur Stevenson, or Jerron Boots Ennis? Who is boxing's next big star? Tank. Ooh, here we go. And She's listen. known as the raging babe, Michelle Rosa. Hey, look, I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you. I was scared to come on here, but I'm glad I did. Why? What, what were you scared of? Oh, I don't know. You, you see my Twitter. But listen, before we get off of here, I do want to beat the drum a little bit for women's boxing. Women's boxing needs a platform. We have Clarissa Shields on the street without a fight. Amanda Serrano, who's like a seven division world champion, is in the cold. You know, she could retire tomorrow and be in the Hall of Fame. There's nowhere for these girls to fight. They're about to have nervous breakdowns. You know, we, they deserve some fairness in our sport. I'm not trying to say that they should get paid the same as, you know, Canelo but they shouldn't be making $5,000 to defend their titles either. So, you know, I think in 2021, I'm going to get more involved with uh, women's boxing and, and trying to be a voice for them um, because they deserve better. They deserve a platform. They deserve to fight. And I'll leave it at that. I love it. I love it. By the way, uh, we got, we just got some new merchandise, some last stand stuff. So I got to get you, get you a shirt. For doing everybody who comes on the show, I got to send them a shirt. So I got to make sure and get you a shirt so you can right. rep some merchandise. And you know what? And when you rep it, you put it on social media. And then when you put it on, you put it on and you say, and I said what I said. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do here on The Last End. We bring you the biggest names in sports and entertainment, just like the raging babe, Michelle Rosado. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next week. Thank you.